This is the Saxo Market Call, daily insights on what is moving the financial markets. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It's Friday, 9th of December, 2022. Markets uh, rebounding a little bit uh, from that key pivot area we've been talking about, for example, in the uh, S&P 500. On slide two, I put the uh, March future in here. We're starting to roll uh, volume-wise into that March future, so we might as well get used to the levels there. And it's more like 3950 than the 3900 area, which is where it's closer to on the cash index. Uh, but a pretty strong day. And it looks like the, uh, Peter, the higher beta stuff, like bubble stocks, uh, doing the best on the day. Um, I'm not sure what's uh, what's really driving things. I mean, sure, it helps that we have lower treasury yields, but we're all waiting to see if uh, there's really any catalyst uh, in either direction uh, ahead of the Tuesday CPI next week out of the U.S. and that uh, FOMC meeting, really important. We'll talk about that shortly. Yeah, I I don't I don't put too much uh, emphasis on, the, on these moves uh, in the – you have to think about the bubble stocks. Um, it's a theme basket was clearly one of the highest volatilities realized uh, you have in the um, in the market. So I expect it to be in the top and the in the bottom uh, most of the time. So um, I, I I'm not paying too much attention to it. But I think um, the baskets, of course, that are of interest um, from a macro perspective is the reaction in 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 our China consumer technology basket and and semiconductors. I think those two themes obviously are reacting to um, to the push the follow through uh, from the Chinese government. Um, really trying to get out of this uh, this slump and these very strict uh, covid re- restrictions and i think of course that's um it's a joker for next year i think on in terms of economic growth as us U- the us and europe is slowing down so if china could uh, could kick into gear that could alleviate some of that uh, some of that slowdown and make and make it a very shallow uh, recession we we get in uh, in those two economies so um i think that's um that's definitely something to watch and i think one of the um you could say price actions we had yesterday, John. It was that we we had a a move high in U.S. ten-year yield, and we had equities higher. That typically reflect a more positive economic uh, sentiment. We had strong initial and continuing claims coming out of the U.S. I think um, against the recent trend. I think those numbers could. And then, as we saw on slide three, you mentioned that in our internal call, John, the um, the uh, the wage uh, wage tracker from Atlanta Fed uh, and the the series we have put in here is the job switches so uh, and we know around with the current quit rate in the US uh, around 30% of the US labor market is is being turned over uh, on an annualized basis right now and they're getting uh, on a median level 8.1% i think that's a, a pretty pretty significant uh, amount to say the least yeah it's a hefty job uh, or it's a hefty wage increase and uh, in the 25 or so your history of the survey, the last period, uh, this is far higher than even the highest period of that survey, which was in the late 90s, where it was peaking out generally around 6.5%. So uh, 8% is, is, is not something to sneeze at. The uh, the broader one, <clears throat> still tracking it above uh, 6% as well. I think it was unchanged month on month. Uh, and then just wanted to preview a little bit, just remind folks where we are ahead of the FOMC meeting uh, next week. We'll be talking about it more next week, but just to just to remind, and we I think we talked about it yesterday as well, the, the very firm forward view the market has on what the Fed will be doing. And it's going to be so interesting to see what the Fed delivers. I suspect they're going to deliver uh, something north of what the market is looking for for Fed funds rate by the end of next year. And I put down slide four, uh, Bloomberg's world interest rate probability matrix there of, of how the market uh, forwards are pricing the implied rates uh, or the implied rates for the Fed throughout the various meetings next year. You can see it peaks out around Essentially, we're done by March. Uh, the the market is saying uh, just just ahead of four point eight seven percent would be a, a policy rate of four to three quarters to uh, to five percent. Uh, another uh, sort of fifty basis points 
in December coming, and then maybe two more rates, uh, rate hikes after that of 25 basis points. But then already by year end, pricing about a 50 basis points of cuts. And I, I suspect the Fed is going to pin that those expectations. And, and there may be a bit of a, a bit of spread in what the, the participants are expecting. But I think it'll be closer to the, the 5%, even maybe a slight hike. And I put in that little insert on the right. You can't really see it. It's very small letters. But it's just to show the direction of the uh, September dot plot. And I expect the, uh, the Fed will be putting those uh, late or in 2023 expectations above what the market is saying. Will the market care? Will the market uh, persist in its forward view? Or, or will it take note of, of where the Fed places things? And then, of course, we're getting a bit closer to 2024 as well. And you can see the massive spread in the dot plot projections from September. And uh, you can see how quickly the market is looking. Uh, only the January meeting is in view there on that uh, table. But if you look at the uh, euro dollar uh, interest rate futures, et cetera, they're looking for a very significant rollover in 2024. So interesting, uh, again, what does the Fed say versus how much does the market invest in what they're saying? And prior to that, we have another uh, CPI print. Uh, meanwhile, in the commodity space, uh, we're all getting distracted by uh, hopes and dreams of Chinese stimulus coming on board. Uh, their CPI and PPI, nothing to to uh, write home about. PPI still in deflationary levels as the demand coming through the system for, for physical goods has eased off after that big uh, bullwhip effect, as people call it. Uh, but I'm just I'm still stunned at, at crude oil prices, and I'm sure you don't have much new to say on that front. But what what are your thoughts as we winding down the year uh, on commodity on the commodity space here? Well, we're most certainly seeing uh, that the the massive gains that we had early in the year across the energy sector is being uh, has been uh, give some of that has been given back. Uh, we're currently up around thirty five percent on the Bloomberg uh, Energy Index for the year. We are down thirteen percent so far this month. And it is the uh, it is the weakness uh, or the, the the global economic risks that are that are that are the main drivers right now. We're seeing quite a significant uh, slump in crude oil this week. We have also had a very wide trading range, just uh, highlighting how difficult this market has become has has become to trade at this time of year, where liquidity is starting to dry out. So uh, there are some longs in the market that are getting squeezed at this point in time, and I think we just uh, it's difficult to gauge too much into into the price action. But it's also interesting to note that the that the, the commodity basket is actually doing as as well as it is this month, uh, considering the the weakness we've seen across the energy sector. So the energy stocks are are holding up reasonably well at this point in time, even though we we got quite significantly lower uh, fuel and fuel and oil prices. So uh, most certainly something worth watching. But I, what I I just put on on slide six here the uh, the table for the month, just to show the show the divergence that uh, that is has emerged uh, this month with industrial metals and precious metals, are uh, the 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 only two sectors. Uh, showing gains and and uh, for two different reasons uh, you mentioned china already john and uh, obviously with ppi being as uh, relatively low as it is and cpi as well uh, raises some hopes that uh, that, that uh, the chinese uh, government will be able to stimulate the the economy uh, more than more than otherwise uh, possible and, and that has given the industrial metals uh, quite a significant uh, boost uh, this past week some like copper is trading around 390 very close to very uh, key resistance levels so that one will be worth worth watching next week also precious metals uh, trading higher but that's for the uh, that's for different reasons that's basically similar that's the economic slowdown that is hurting uh, energy which is supporting precious metals because we we're seeing the drop in yields and the weaker dollar and inversion of the yield curve this week uh, adding some support but just like copper we are pretty close to key resistance and the question is obviously whether we uh, whether it has got much more juice left in the tank to drive uh, higher at this time of year before uh, potentially we'll see that break next year and recently you talked about um the wheat uh, situation and and uh, you know 
for this time of the year, an odd amount of wheat going through in terms of uh, uh, imports and exports, some of that related to Russia and Ukraine. But you've got some thoughts on soybeans uh, today with the, this uh, WASDE report coming up. Yeah, exactly. Soybeans has been doing quite well over this past couple of months. And uh, again, it's the China story uh, with strong export demand from, from China uh, driving up uh, prices. Also some concerns about the, the weather outlook for South America, which is obviously a key producer, and they are in the middle of their growing season uh, right now. So that's also adding some support. The same cannot be said about wheat, which is trading at uh, the, lower, the lowest part of uh, almost a year. Uh, we have seen a small bounce uh, towards the end of the weekend, but uh, but it is uh, trading on the weak side. And that's simply, as we've highlighted on several occasions, the, the fact that we had a record crop in, uh, in Russia. We still got flows coming out of Ukraine and the uh, U.S. Uh, exporters are simply struggling to compete with these flows. And that's putting uh, downward price uh, pressure on, on the prices in general. And as you mentioned, John, we got the WASTI World Agricultural Supply and Demand report out, uh, a monthly report out later today. We're not really expecting any fireworks. The uh, the only component where we see some uh, forecasts, that's the the ending stocks. And as you can see on this insert, the, generally there's an expectation of uh, stocks being revised higher, especially in the US, and fairly flat on a global scale. So, uh, so uh, these are the expectations. Obviously, any major divergence could, could trigger some fireworks ahead of the weekend. All right. As we're heading into the weekend and as we're heading into that key Tuesday CPI report out of the U.S. next week, we have the dollar leaning pretty hard on support. It's come back a little bit uh, in today's trade. Uh, yesterday, the combination of, of uh, strong risk sentiment and lower U.S. yields is the ideal combination for dollar bears. Um, but uh, not a lot of focus there right now because I have a hard time believing the dollar is going to get a massive new directional signal until we get the uh, the whites of the uh, Fed's eyes and Powell's eyes at the press conference, etc. Uh, not to say it can't go lower, but I think it'll have to go lower because the market is thumbing its nose at the Fed's view and is, is remaining complacent on uh, the Fed eventually rolling over later next year. Um, so that's that's really key as we as we head into next week, obviously. But I also just want to point out on slide five with the FX overview, the degree to which these oil related currencies like Norwegian Krona and the Canadian dollar are very weak. Dollar Canada trying to roll over a little bit yesterday, but not quite succeeding. Uh, so it's still uh, sort of bid uh, as long as it stays above, let's say, 135 area in the coming week or so. And Euronaki is trying towards a very significant range high. There was one little brief sprint above significantly above 1050 on a closing basis. Uh, and that's just, a you know, a, again, Norwegian Krona doesn't like, of course, the forward outlook for Europe, but it doesn't like these, these oil prices. But uh, I would say getting into some value areas, unless we're about to see some disorderly, a bit of risk sentiment uh, declines here in, across markets. All right, uh, Peter, let's get back over to you. We had a couple of interesting uh, earnings reports we previewed yesterday. It looks like you've got them all lined up here on slide eight with their respective um, reports. And I guess one of the headlines today, I, I found it kind of interesting, uh, the uh, uh, Federal Trade Commission showing some teeth here in at least saying it will sue uh, Microsoft uh, to prevent it from its acquisition of Activision Blizzard. A, uh, I believe it was supposed to be a $75 billion deal. That The deal uh, stock price deal was for $95 a share. Uh, I believe it was back in January. It never really got anywhere close to that. It's been kind of declining since then, and it was very volatile yesterday, trading close to $75 a share. I just think it's interesting as a signal value for where the uh, this uh, Federal Trade Commission under Biden is headed. Yeah, it's uh, it's Khan. She's um, she's a she has a very different very different different view on uh, antitrust, uh, as we've talked about uh, a couple of times in this podcast. The um, the old antitrust uh, the old the old antitrust ideology in the U.S. was built around uh, market power, and then it went to consumer welfare. And under the consumer welfare thought process, uh, you're allowed to have a lot of market power as long as you 
push on savings to consumers. And that has been sort of the the idea that has always uh, benefited a company like Amazon because they control uh, in some categories like uh, small consumer batteries, like 98% of the market sales in the US. So that's a massive amount of market power. But uh, as long as they are seen as uh, someone that is not using that market power, then they can be allowed to have that market power. And that is certainly changing. There are definitely new uh, vibes in the US. And I think, as you mentioned here with, the, the, with Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard, these new tones, <clears throat> I think definitely is a signal of changed world we're, we're moving into. And I think for good reasons. I mean, I, I, I don't think which you are the most valuable company or one of the most valuable companies in the world. I, I don't think you should be allowed to go around and, and use your excess free cash flow to, to buy up and get even more market power and do vertical integration left, right and center. I, I, don't, I don't see how that's a benefit for the economy at all. We want a lot of competition, so they shouldn't acquire these companies. They should focus on you know, just returning their, their excess capital to shareholders. Um, that was a little spiel from me today. Um, anyway, if we... Um, if we look at the the earnings releases, as you mentioned, we got last last night. So Broadcom shares were up three percent. Revenue earnings were pretty much in line with the, with estimates. Revenue guidance was a little bit above estimate for the quarter that ends in January, and they said that demand and and corporate spending, at least within those semiconductors that they produce, is still very strong. Except for China, which is the only meaningful part of the business that is seeing. Uh, uh, quite a substantial decline in consumption. They're not saying whether that's due to the uh, the US uh, sanctions in different in different ways against China in the semiconductors area or it's a genuine it's a genuine uh, slowdown in consumption not related to any sanctions. And then Costco we talked about it yesterday um and we we said that the, you know Costco was, is, is doing phenomenal. Uh, they might see some substitution effect, and that's exactly what they said as well. Their, their revenue was in line, so growing nine percent. Um, they're seeing an increased market share from uh, from high income households, so that's you know evidence of the substitution effect. They're also saying that big ticket uh, items is uh, demand is coming down, and they're seeing a little bit of an ease off in, in terms of inflation across some categories, but still uh, they're not calling inflation to be to be over with. Um, anytime soon and then lululemon is this started out out as a yoga pants and and yoga accessories company and is broadening itself out to you know other types of of retailing clothing retailing uh, shoes etc clothing etc and um, they they missed a little bit. It was a very very small miss against estimates on the revenue guidance, and they missed a little bit on their on their upside, and and that was enough to take the shares down by eight percent. So that was probably the most dramatic story there. And then on slide nine, John, to finish off the earnings uh, spiel, uh, earnings today we were supposed to have had Oracle, but they have postponed it to to Monday. So instead, it will be Li Auto, which is one of the EV makers in China that has been trading water for uh, for two years now uh, in the equity market, and uh, we know that there's a lot of uncertainty over demand for EVs. And then as we look ahead, Oracle on Monday, DD Global on uh, Tuesday, Inditex, which is the parent company behind Sarah here in uh, globally, but it's a Spanish company here in Europe, will report on Wednesday, Thursday, Adobe, one of the bellwethers in the technology sector. And then Friday, you could argue that Accenture due to the market cap is more interesting. But you'd like to point out, John, that it's probably more interesting from a macro perspective <clears throat> to, to watch Darden restaurants because our people continuing in the US to go out for <clears throat> dining and whining with this inflation pre inflationary pressures going on. Yeah, I think it is a key signal. This whole idea that the, those that are still bullish on the ability of this uh, U.S. economy to continue uh, ticking along and do okay, and perhaps provide some further inflationary pressures, are saying that the consumer has only run down maybe a third uh, or a little bit more of those savings that were built up <clears throat> during the pandemic from uh, excess income, etc. 
although there are signs of stress uh, for, for, for certain uh, stripes of consumers. But yeah, eating out at a sort of casual dining plus type restaurants would be one of the easiest ways to, to save a significant chunk of change every month. So yeah, I, I like that as an interesting data point, as you say. All right, let's go to the macro calendar for the um, for the day. Pretty quiet, to say the least there. We have the PPI out of the US. That one's expected to, to drop back. Again, a lot of this related to goods inflation, which is easing off. It's the services side that's the uh, only potential to right now to drive further inflation. Expected as 0.2% at the core and 4.7% year on year. Uh, versus uh, 5.4% in October. And if we look ahead at next week, pretty busy week on the central bank front, to say the least. And, and a lot of these are, you know, with, with rate hikes in play, it's all about the guidance and to what degree are we seeing some deceleration. ECB is seen as hiking as much or more than the Fed next year. That one's up on Thursday, as, as I've uh, highlighted before. FOMC is the big one, obviously, on uh, Wednesday. We'll be talking more about that. And ahead of that on Tuesday, of course, the CPI data. We do have, uh, and I'm um, taking this in a very stupid order, but <laughs> I just want to remind uh, that we do have the University of Michigan, the preliminary survey for December up today. I think the more interesting thing there is we've seen quite a rebound in this uh, longer term inflation expectations. I think it'd be interesting if we got a, a, hot, a hotter print than expected. It's rebounded all the way back to 3%, which is, if we recall, is towards the highs of the range uh, going back uh, many years. So that, that would be interesting if it does break above 3% again, uh, given the, the backdrop here. Uh, but other central banks next week, almost all of them on Thursday, S&B expected to hike 50 basis points to take their policy rate to a positive 1%. ECB expected to do plus 50 to uh, 2% for the deposit rate. Uh, Norris Bank, the, the heel-dragging Norris Bank, the first to hike and and still doing so very slowly, expected to go plus 25 to 2 and 3 quarters percent and the Bank of England plus 50 to 3 and a half percent. And then we'll get the Eurozone flash uh, December PMIs on Friday. But yeah, it really is all about whether this um, this Tuesday combination, Tuesday-Wednesday combination next week can spark volatility for the rest of the year. It's the last big macro surge here we have before year end. With that, that's a wrap. We'll be back next week with the Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com.